Good morning, Parkway Church. How are we doing? So glad you guys are here with us, whether you're gathered at Parkway Victoria, Parkway Port Lavaca, Parkway Lone Tree, or Parkway Online. We are so, so glad that you're here. My name is Mike. I'm the senior pastor here. And it's my privilege this year to open the Bible with you and to walk through it. We're going to walk book by book, big idea, big character, major storyline throughout Scripture. We've opened up this year with a look at Genesis. It's the beginning. It's where our world began. It tells us where we went wrong, and it tells us what God has done and is doing to make it right. So I'm glad you're here with us. Whether you are a Bible scholar or you've never read some of these stories before, we all have something to learn. If you say, you know, Mike, I've read the story of God through Scripture for years and years and years every year. Well, this year, may you look to apply the word of God so that you love God and love people. This year, may you apply what you're learning in new and fresh ways because God is still at work in you. If you would say, Mike, I'm like a Bible scholar, how are you going to live it? See, Mike, I have never read some of these stories. And I, I feel kind of ashamed because I'm a grown adult and I've never read any of these stories. Let me just say, no shame allowed. We're all going to discover the story of God together, book by book, chapter by chapter, character by character, big idea by big idea. And what you have that some of our Bible scholars would desperately desire to have, if you've never read these stories before, you've got the eyes like a child who is going to see the story of God unfold, and your life is going to be so radically changed because of what you're learning that newness, that freshness of your faith, that ability to hear the story for the first time. Ah, oh, friends, I remember whenever I was reading the stories for the very first time. And the excitement that that brought to learn about God and to learn about myself. You know, I'd love where you are if this is your first time to study. Because we're going to learn together. And I am just ecstatic that you're here today. We're beginning this walk through the Bible with a three-week look at the book of Genesis. It's called Origins, where our world began, where we went wrong, and what God has done and is doing to make it right. Last week, we looked at where our world began. In Genesis chapter 1, we learn about God's creative power, and we learn about his character. We learn in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 that our God is eternal before anything was. God is we learn in Genesis 1 that our God is not only eternal, but he is all-powerful. He created all that we have, know, and experience with his voice. In six days, he created the world around us. He spoke the day and night into existence. He spoke the sun and the moon into existence. He spoke the land and the seas and the vegetation and the animals into existence. And then on the sixth day, out of dust, he formed man and breathed life into man. And on the sixth day, God created woman out of man. He created male and female in his image because we matter to God. And we looked at the end of day six before God rested on day seven. And God's take on the world that he created was this. It is very good. And so today we're going to pick up the story of God in Genesis chapter 5. We're going to look at the story of Noah and the ark. And we're going to see what happened from the point where God created Adam and Eve to the point where Noah comes on the scene. 
And we're going to discover where we went wrong and what God has done and is doing to make it right. Now, this story, Noah and the Ark, it is a kid's story with some real adult themes. It is a story that children learn at vacation Bible school or Sunday school. Maybe you learned it as a child, that flannel graph presentation. You've got Noah and the, the boat and then the animals two by two. This is a kid's story, but it has got some real adult themes that we will see as we study Genesis 5 through Genesis chapter 9 today. So we start in Genesis 5. If you brought your Bible, you can follow along. Otherwise, we've got it in the outline for you. You can also follow along on your smartphone in the Bible app. Click events and you will find us. Genesis 5, verse 1. This is the written account of Adam's family line. So Adam and Eve were created by God on day 6. God also created livestock on day 6. Day 6 is my favorite day. I love steak and I love Christy. <laughs> so God gave me what I need on day 6. A good steak and a great wine. So this is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. No other creation was made in the image of the creator. You and I were designed to worship God, to live in relationship with him. We were designed to be eternally with God forever. That's how he created us, in his image. He created them male and female and blessed them. And he named them mankind when they were created. Now, what we're about to see in the story of God is what happens next. We see God's creation. And now we're going to fast forward 10 generations from Adam, the first man that was created, to Noah. 10 generations from Adam to Noah. What's happening in this world that God created in six days and said it is very good? Let me tell you, it's not going as God had first designed. Because what Adam and Eve did in the garden is what you and I would do in given a choice. God told them to enjoy all of the garden and to enjoy him with all of their lives. Just don't eat from this tree. So you know what they did? <laughs> they ate from that tree. So you know what they did? They chose to be like God. And when they chose to be like God, sin entered our world. They were no longer intimate with each other as they were before. They put on clothes. They were no longer walking with God closely. They ran and hid from him. And God made them pay a price. Adam would have to work, and work would be work. Eve would have kids, and childhood or childbearing would be painful. God said, I designed you this way, but your sin has brought some pain and work into the world. And so we fast forward 10 generations from Adam to Noah. And what do we find? The Bible says this, Genesis 5, verse 32. After Noah was 500 years old, he became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. All right. He's 500 years old. And he's just now having his third child. Oh, my. I am 45 years old, and I can't imagine having a fourth child this year. I can't imagine it. Say, Mike, do you actually believe that people lived hundreds of years? 
I mean, Methuselah lived even longer than Noah. Mike, do you actually believe that people in the book of Genesis lived as long as the word of God says they do? I absolutely do. Why? Because the word of God can be trusted. It's inerrant, it's infallible, it's inspired by God. It can be trusted in all ways. See, Mike, then why don't we live as long as they do? Well, the story that we're going to read today shows how the world fundamentally changed with Noah and the ark. Why don't we have the same life expectancy as the earliest generations, the first 10 generations on earth had? It's because of what we read today. So Noah, his three sons, Noah has a wife and his kids are married as well. So what did God see when he looked down on the earth? Genesis 6, 5 through 7. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. What God is seeing here is that the effects of sin are contagious, and the habits and the practices of sin spread like a virus, and they're more damaging than any flu, any year, any time. And what God does next, as we read the story of Noah and the ark, verse 6, Genesis 6. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So it's 10 generations. Each generation, biblically, is 40 years. And so some 400 years after Adam and after the sin of Adam and Eve, God looks at the world and says, you guys have really messed it up. And you've messed it up to the point where your sin makes me regret that I even made you. We all have regrets. What's God going to do with his? He takes action on his regret. Verse 7, Genesis 6. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. And with them all the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. God says, I'm just going to wipe this clean. See, this is where the story of Noah and the ark is a child's story with adult themes. Because God is saying here, I'm about to judge the earth. I'm going to judge the men and the women. I'm going to judge the animals and all creation. Because sin affects everything, everyone, everywhere. So I'm about to judge. I'm about to wipe this place clean. Genesis 6, verse 8. But Noah found favor. And that word favor, if you write in your Bible, maybe you need to underline Genesis 6, 8. Noah found favor. And that, that word is grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. As the Lord looked out, righteous to judge. As the Lord looked out, completely just in what he was about to do. He looked out on the earth and he saw Noah. Now, is Noah a sinner? Yes. Is Noah sinful? Yes. But what did God see when God saw Noah? God saw grace. He saw his favor. And so what did God do next? Now, the earth was corrupt in God's sight. He had to do something and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. See, we all earn the judgment. People will say, as they read the story of Noah and the ark, how could a loving God judge people so harshly? And I, and I would just 
rebuke that, and rebuke that and push back on that and say, how could we as people created in the image of God rebel so much that God would regret making us? This isn't about a loving God acting in an unloving way. This is about a loving God bringing justice and righteousness to a world where we blew it big time as humankind. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become and all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people. For the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and all of the earth. So make for yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you're to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving, leaving beneath the roof one opening a cubit high all around. Put a door on the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under heavens. Every creature that has breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. So God says, Noah, here's what's going to happen. You're going to build a boat, and I'm going to flood everything. But before I flood everything, I'm going to bring animals two by two to you. I'm going to bring animals to this ark. And that's why there has to be that cubit long ventilation system just below the roof of the ark. Because who would want to live on an ark with no ventilation? Every animal, two by two, is going to be on this boat. And so God even designed a ventilation system for those that would be on the boat. And this God sounds very cold and very vengeful and very hateful. But can I remind you that at his core, God is always loving, always caring, always compassionate, always just, always right. And so how does God show his love and kindness, his goodness, his justice, and his righteousness as he judges? Genesis 6, 18 through 22. But I will establish my covenant with you. This word covenant in scripture, especially in Genesis, is important. Because it's God making a deal with mankind. It's God making a commitment to mankind based on his faithfulness to us. We say that marriage isn't a contract, but it's a covenant because it is a commitment between two people. Well, this is how God is dealing with Noah and the people of his day. I'm making a covenant with you. This isn't a contract where you have to act one way for me to keep it, and if you don't, I will divorce myself of my commitment to you. But instead, this is a covenant that I will keep with you because of who I am. But I will establish with you my covenant, and you will enter the ark, and you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You were to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and stored away as food for you and for them. I read that account and I just wonder, how would our world be so much different and better if when they were seeing the animals all come to the ark and that mosquito landed on Noah's arm, if he had just smacked one of them, that's all we needed. 
Two were coming. Just smack one. That's all we need. But what did Noah do? Verse 22 of Genesis chapter 6. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. He began what was likely a hundred-year building process on the ark. And he did it exactly as God commanded him. Noah's faith was deaf to fatal doubts. It was dumb to discouragement. And it was blind to impossibilities. So he built an ark. His sons and their wives and his wife and the animals came aboard just as God said they would. And for 40 days and 40 nights, it rained. It rained and rained and rained and rained. And the whole earth was covered by this flood. They were on the ark, floating along, feeding animals. They were on the ark for almost a year. When the waters began to recede, and when a symbol was given that it was safe for them to disembark, that's what they did. Some of you read this story of Noah and the ark, and you find it hard to believe. I mean, how could rain for 40 days and 40 nights flood the entire planet? How could this be true? Well, think about this with me. What happened at the flood fundamentally changed our world. And there's proof that the flood happened in this. As a child, I used to travel with my parents, and we'd go on little tours of our country. And everywhere we went, I would collect fossils. You know, one of the places where I picked up the most fossils was Utah. How in the world could fossils be found in sedimentary rock where water must have been, how could fossils be found in the middle of mountain ranges? You find shells on the seashore, but you find fossils in the mountains. Why? Because there was once a year when the, the world as we live in, in it was covered with water. How do those fossils become memorialized for generations? Because water once covered the earth, and what God said he would do, take life out of everything that breathes, happened. And little Mikey Hurt can prove it. What else changed? Atmospherically, our world changed. When the rain came for the first time, it changed how our system works. We live less now, even with modern medicine, because of the change that came at the flood. We live Less now, even with modern medicine and the change in the flood because of the consequence of sin on our life. Everything changed with the flood. As you think about what changed at the flood, let's tie into the one thing that never changes, and that's God's covenant with us. Genesis 9, the Bible says this in verse 8 through 11. Then God said to Noah and his sons, they'd been on the boat for a year. How long do you think it took them to get their sea legs back, right? How long do you think? Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant, that's my commitment to you, with you and your descendants after you, and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, the wild animals, all those who came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth? What God was doing here with this covenant is limiting himself. He was saying, never again will I flood the earth as judgment. 
Never again will you see what you've just seen for the last year and you've prepared for for the last hundred years. Never again. He limited himself. What he didn't do is say that never again will I judge. Because there's coming a day when God will judge again and recreate the heavens and the earth, but this time not with fire, but the New Testament tells us he will, re- not with water, but this time the New Testament tells us he will recreate with fire as a judgment. So God says, it's not that I will never judge again. I will never judge in this way. That's my deal with you. Keep reading. Genesis 9, 12 through 17. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come. You realize that God's commitments, his covenants to us, don't have expiration dates. He says, here with Noah, I'm making a deal. I'll never judge like this again. I'm making this deal with you, your sons, your wives, and your descendants, and all generations to come. That would include you and include me. Verse 13. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Verse 14. Pardon me, verse 16. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and and all living creatures of every kind on earth. Remember last week as we talked about creation and how we're all accountable to God, the scripture taught us that the heavens declare the glory of God. Well, right here in his covenant with Noah, God reinforces that very same truth. He says, the heavens will declare my glory. Every time I see a rainbow, I will remember my covenant with you. Every time I see a rainbow in the sky, I will remember to be faithful to my covenant with you. So what's God's deal? When we see that rainbow, that's a reminder of his loving kindness. That's a reminder of his commitment to us to not judge us with a flood ever again. That's God's reminder of his goodness. So the next time you see a rainbow in the sky, don't go driving through the countryside looking for the pot of gold at the end. But instead, see the goodness and the greatness and the grace of God on display in the heavens. The Bible says the heavens will display his glory. So God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant I've established between me and all of life on the earth. So we jump to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is the hall of fame when it comes to men and women of faith. I want you to catch a quick thumbnail summation of Noah's life. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews writes. It says, by faith, Noah. When warned about things not yet seen, what had not yet been seen in Noah's world? Well, rain and an ark. When when God told Noah, there's judgment coming, never seen like this before. When God said, I'm going to wipe it all clean. It's going to rain, flood, you're going to need an ark, there's going to be judgment. When Noah, when warned of things not yet seen, in holy fear, which is a right respect of God, he built an ark to save his family. By faith, 
He condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. What we see here in this story is a man that we can see as a forefather of sorts to the faith that we now live and believe in in Jesus Christ. Because Noah, he believed God and was saved. It was by his faith that he was made right with God and gained access to that ark. So Noah, a man of faith and a man of great obedience. And that brings us to the most important question of the day. How many of y'all were here last week so you know what the most important question of the day is? Y'all raise your hand for me everywhere. If you were here last week, you know what the most important question of the day is? Well, many of you don't, so let me tell you what it is. In tribute to my friend and pastor in D.C., Lon Solomon. Lon would preach and preach and preach, and halfway through the talk, and by the way, I'm well past halfway in today's talk. He would ask the simple question. It's two words. So and what? So I want you to ask that same question to me at every location. Let's hear it on three. You're going to say, so what? One, two, three. So what, Mike, that the earth was corrupt and in God's sight, every one of man's actions were evil. Mike, so what that God made a deal with Noah and said, I'm going to wipe it out, but I'm going to save your family. Mike, so what that Noah built an ark for a year or a hundred years, a century, and was on the ark for a year while the water receded. Mike, so what that God made a deal with a rainbow in the sky that he would never judge mankind like that again. Mike, so what? So what that God regretted what he made? I've regretted some things that I've created. Like, so what? I got three so what's for you today. The first one is this. This story teaches us that we should thank God that we don't get what we deserve. Genesis 6, verse 8. The Bible says that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Did Noah earn his right to be on the ark? Nope. Did Noah do anything to earn God's favor, to earn God's grace? Was Noah a sinner just like you and just like me? Absolutely. But what God saw when he saw Noah was his grace. Noah did nada to get on that ark. God did the work. And in your life and in your relationships, especially your relationship with God, Thank him that you don't get what you deserve. That faith that saved Noah from the flood is the same faith that saves us today. Listen to what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it's that belief, it's that faith that saved you. And it's not of yourselves, it's a free gift of God. It's not by works. So that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We don't get what we deserve when it comes to God. What do we deserve? We deserve to be fossils in the middle of Utah. That's what we deserve. We deserve the judgment and the death that comes with sin. But what does God give instead? He gives his grace. He gives his mercy. 
He gives his ever-loving kindness through his son, Jesus Christ. And if we don't get what we deserve, think about this in your relationships this week. If I don't get what I deserve, why do I give people what they deserve? The next time you say, well, can't wait till they get theirs, <laughs> be glad you don't get yours. The next time you say they're going to get what's coming to them, thank God that you never get what you have coming to you. You see how this relationship of grace could change how you deal with people. We don't get what we deserve, so we don't give people what they deserve. Second, so what is this? God never forgets his promises. That rainbow in the sky, it's a moment that people will capture even today as a point of amazement. There'll be a rainbow and 28 of your friends will take the exact same picture of it and post it to Facebook. We're still amazed by the promise of God. Because God never forgets his promises. There are no expiration dates on the promises of God. Listen to how Isaiah 54, 5 through 10 teaches us. Isaiah draws a beautiful word picture of our relationship with God like a husband and a wife relationship. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife distressed and, and, and deserted. A wife who married young only to be rejected, says your God. For a brief moment, I abandoned you. But with deep compassion, I will bring you back. In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. To me, this is like the days of Noah, when I swore that the water of Noah would never again cover the earth. So now I have sworn not to be angry with you, never to rebuke you again. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be moved, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken nor my covenant of peace removed. God never forgets his promises, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. That rainbow declares the glory of God and reminds you and reminds me that he never forgets his promises. He will never remove his covenant of peace with you and with me that we have in Jesus Christ with him. And this is so important because if we go by what we feel instead of what we know, we could wake up tomorrow in a bad mood and feel like God is against us. We could wake up tomorrow and have a relational rift that causes trouble for weeks and feel like God is against us. We could wake up tomorrow and get fired and feel like God is against us. We could wake up tomorrow and get a diagnosis that's scary and feel like God is against us. Anybody else not want to wake up tomorrow like that? We can wake up and build life based on what we feel. Or we could wake up and build life based on what we know. 
When we feel like God is against us, may you know that God never forgets his promises. And he is for you. When you feel like God is against you, remember that your maker, the one who created the heavens and the earth, promises that he will never remove his covenant, his plan of peace with you that Jesus Christ guarantees. God never forgets his promises. And then lastly, the story of Noah and the ark teaches us that the Lord knows how to rescue. Even before the rescue was needed, God had a plan to rescue. And you and I, we might be in a spot where we don't see God's rescue ark on the horizon. But God knows how to rescue. Listen to how 2 Peter teaches us this big idea. It teaches us that God is both the judge and the rescuer of people. For God, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and making them an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly. If he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depravity conducted by the lawness, by the lawless. For the righteous man living among them day after day was tormented by the righteous in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, and this phrase, if this is so, is building on this whole ramp up, this whole idea. If God both judges and saves, if God both condemns and rescues, if this is so, if he burned Sodom and Gomorrah down but saved Lot, if he flooded the earth but saved Noah, if God both rescues and condemns, if this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from the trials and how, and how to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. Because of what we learn about Noah, you can count on God's rescue. Because of what we see of God's righteousness, his faithfulness, his judgment, and his grace, you can count on his rescue. Friends, I can't tell you how the rescue comes, but I can tell you who the rescuer is. And it is God Almighty, the maker of heaven and the maker of earth. So this kid's story, Noah and the Ark, gives me all sorts of hope. Because God is my rescuer. This kid's story, Noah and the Ark, Noah and the Ark it gives me all sorts of confidence to walk into the future. Because God never forgets his promises. This kid's story, Noah and the Ark, it gives me all sorts of motivation to build my life to honor God instead of me because I don't get what I deserve. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the chance to open our Bibles and to learn and grow together today. Pray that you would teach us how we can depend upon your grace, how we can trust your promise, and how we can wait for your rescue. For those of us in our church family that are need to do business with God, I encourage you to do it in this time. If there's a sin to confess, confess it. If there's a need to call upon God for, call upon God. 
If there's a commitment to make, make it. For those that are here that haven't begun a relationship with Christ yet, I encourage you to consider God's judgment in his rescue. What do you deserve? Well, your sin deserves death and separation from God. But what does God give? He rescues you by his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived a perfect life and then died a criminal's death on the cross to pay the price for our sins. They laid him in a tomb, and three days later he rose again to free us from the power of sin and to give us eternal life with him when we believe. So if you're here, don't get what you deserve, but get the grace of God. If you've never believed, make today your day. The Bible says that he's Jesus is Savior and Lord of all. And he invites you to believe in him and to find life today. You can pray. Jesus, I believe. I believe that I'm a sinner who needs a Savior and that you are the Savior of the world. Thank you for coming for me, for dying in my place and being raised again from the dead. Today, I believe. Thank you for giving me life.